session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, the book for this week is Mind in Motion by Barbara Tversky. Mind in Motion, How Action Shapes Thought. Um, I felt like a kid in the candy store this weekend when I went to the bookshop and got about eight new books that I'm looking forward to reading, and this was one of them. Um, judged it by its cover and the back cover and things, but it sounded interesting, and it was a new book looking at some new research on the brain Mind in Motion, How Action Shapes Thought by Barbara Tversky. Uh, but the book from this past week that I read and we'll talk about tonight uh, is a little bit different than some of the books like the one I'm reading this week. It was Letter to the Father by Franz Kafka. And this is a relatively long letter and what we usually consider letters. I think it was about 45 or 47 typewritten pages that Franz Kafka wrote to his father, uh, who he had an unfortunately very tumultuous relationship with, which I'll get into. And this was a last-ditch effort, you can say, that he was trying to make things better between him and his father. They long had a bad relationship. Um, He actually gave this letter to his mother to give to his father, but she never did. And then eventually it was given to his... um, editor or someone who was who would take care of his writings uh, Max Brode and he eventually published it but years later uh, anyway uh, Franz Kafka was a writer he died at the age of 40 he was alive from July 3rd 1883 to June 3rd 1924 um, and he created some very consequential pieces of literature including the metamorphosis and the trial uh, and actually, after reading this letter, I have not re- read either of those books, but it does make me want to read one of those uh, books or maybe more than one. Uh, he's also known, or you might hear sometimes people say that a type of writing or a story was very Kafka-esque. And when we add esque at the end of a word, it means like Kafka-like. And so uh, if you look this up, you'll see that it's this is work that is characterized by nightmarish settings in which characters are crushed by nonsensical blind authority. Um, This is from Cora. Uh, But so it's very interesting when you see that crushed by nonsensical blind authority. It makes a lot of sense in the context of this this book, which is a letter to his father, because we see his father as this very arrogant man who he himself says in the book was not physically abusive often, but emotionally was very abusive and abrasive. Uh, He's a very overpowering man and emotionally crushed his son 
uh, if not physically, but emotionally he did. And so in this letter, we see Franz trying to talk to his father. And really, I, I was sharing this um, with someone about how it was a very dark experience reading this book. And I don't say that to discourage anyone from reading it because I would highly recommend it. But it's dark, I think, because he is such a good writer and you take he takes you on this journey emotionally uh, uh, of what he experiences and you just feel it, this heaviness, this fear um, that he had of his father. Throughout the book, you also feel, uh, really I say book, but I really mean letter, so I might say book uh, accidentally. He talks about um, himself in such low ways about being weak and feeble and, and many other negative terms to describe himself as he's writing this letter to his father, um, which is heartbreaking. And then also I'm at times intrigued when you hear stories like this of, for example, Franz Kafka in this case, who is considered by many one of the greatest writers in history or just definitely a great writer, um, but how low he thought of himself, but now high, how highly we regard him. And actually his work, I don't think, was very popular while he was still alive, but afterwards. But it's just interesting to see someone think so low of themselves, um, but at the same time I'm happy, or I guess we're all benefiting not from him being so unhappy, but the fact that even though he thought so low of himself, he thought he had something to share, and he produced these works which I think is great. You might think that if someone thinks so low of themselves, they might also think, well, what, what, who would want to hear what I have to say or read what I have to write? But thankfully he did write, and even that does come up in the book that he talks about his father not taking interest in his writing, saying, oh, if you wrote something, put it on my table or my bedside table, something like that, but really showed no interest in it. Um, and so the letter opens with, Dearest Father, you asked me recently why I maintain that I am afraid of you. As usual, I was unable to think of any answer to your question, partly for the very reason that I am afraid of you, and partly because an explanation of the grounds for this fear would mean going into far more details than I could even approximately keep in mind while talking. Uh, and I really actually love that opening sentence, and it's just already gives you this intensity of how he writes and talks and and throughout the book it isn't just this attack of his father although in a way it is definitely if you read this book you you come to the conclusion of his father as this bad man and of course we're only hearing uh, Franz Kafka's side and not his father's side of it but definitely you get this image of his father as this overbearing overpowering uh, mean harsh arrogant selfish man um, who really crushed his son, essentially, emotionally. Um, but in the book, he does try to display his side or express his father's side too. So it's not just that this he's explicitly saying, here's how you were bad, you were wrong this way, you're horrible, you're all these things. He does share a lot of things his father did that he did not like or that were painful to him. Um, but he also says, I can understand from your side this, or he tries to sometimes explain his father's side of things and blame himself too. So he'll talk about at times how they're both to blame or guilty for the bad relationship that they have. But whether it was unconscious or really he intended to do so at times, I think you feel that he definitely wants to make his dad the bad guy too. So it's very complicated. On one hand, we know that 
kids in general, even he's an adult, when he's writing this, they can see themselves as the reason why their parents are mean to them or bad to them. And so they might blame themselves. Um, so there could be some of that going on, although he does explain how his father was bad to all of the kids. He didn't have a good relationship with any of his other siblings as well. Um, but I, I do get the sense that he had an idea of what he was doing, that his father was looking like the bad guy. Now, at the same time, we don't know, did he really intend for anyone else to read this or was it really just supposed to be for his father? Or even he handed it to his mother, did he want her to read it and to um, see his son or her son's side of things? We don't really know his intentions and we can't speculate too much to say we do know, but I think it's interesting to, to think of those different factors when you also read uh, the letter that he has written to his father. Um, and so he describes lots of different scenes that I think is interesting. And at one point he talks about how all his writing had to do with his father, which is interesting that he says it was related to him. And you can get that fact, as I said, I'd like to read it, his uh, work in more detail, but that there is always or very often this theme of authority, bureaucracy that is unfair, that is um makes the person feel confused and unaware and doesn't know what to even do. And this, this theme plays out in a lot of his work. Um, but he shares a story of when he wanted uh, a drink of water. Now, we don't know if he really wanted water. He says, I was just being kind of, uh, he doesn't use these words, but annoying. And that his father actually, in the cold night, has him go outside uh, and on the balcony and makes him stay there for quite some time. Um, and so he says that he, even though that incident, he talks about it and how dark it was, but he also says, for years, I was tormented by the thought that this giant man, my father could almost without reason come to me in the night and lift me out of bed and leave me on the balcony. And so that part, um, without, without reason come to me in the night and lift me out of bed again, reminds me of those themes that his books seem to talk about where the authority is unfair, doesn't make sense. So uh, we can see how kids, we know they, they internalize this experience or the experiences they have with their parents to try to understand the world. So if you felt that you got punished out of nowhere in extreme ways that didn't make sense, it can make you feel like the world is this way. And it's interesting that he created worlds that were this way in the literature that he produced, but it also likely means that he was feeling this himself inside which I thought was kind of, was interesting when you look at all these different factors together. And I'm uh, in no way trying to psychoanalyze him. Uh, we really can't, but you do see these themes and it does make sense. And it's always a reminder of when we hear someone who creates any kind of art, or even if they create any kind of theories and, and social sciences or whatever it might be, it's going to be affected by what they've experienced. And so clearly um, Franz Kafka's experience with his father affected his work greatly and in a way it seems like he had so much unfinished business with his father that uh, his work was a way for him to deal with that we know that art can be very therapeutic and it's not that he necessarily intended to do that but it seems that uh, there was something there that he was expressing this throughout his work but coming back to the letter we see other um the other elements of this theme continue where he would say his father would sometimes have rules for the, for himself that he wouldn't have for others or vice versa. If they were at the table, he would ask them to eat neatly, but below his seat there would be the most scraps of food and things, and he would eat 
in this very aggressive way. And he even talks about him. he would break the bones with his teeth and just be very aggressive and would sometimes tell them, eat faster, faster, faster. Everything seems to be so stressful, but especially in this way of saying, be stronger, be faster, be better, be bigger. And it seems that Franz always felt too weak, not good enough in so many ways, not strong enough. And he could not even meet the rules of his father if he wished to. Um, but he really just felt that he was not good enough to to meet his standards, but also how unfair it was that his father didn't apply those same rules to himself. So again, that theme of nonsensical blind authority makes sense, that there are rules that don't have to necessarily make sense or don't have to be fair, or the people who make the rules don't have to even follow them, but that's just the way it is. And so it makes sense when you understand his father and how he was. Um, and so also this letter at least the intention that he expresses is a hope to make things better between himself and his father, that they never had a good relationship. And again, although I think he makes it clear that he blames his father a lot for that, he tries to not express it in that way by expressing his father's side and saying, you might be thinking this. And even near the end of the book for almost two pages, he shares from his father's perspective what he might be thinking, what his father might think, that how unfair it was and how Franz himself might be to blame for what has happened. And, and the book ends with him saying uh, about what he has written, in my opinion, something has been achieved which so closely approximates the truth that it might, might reassure us both a little and make our living and our dying easier, signed then Franz. Um, and so he at least was intending to write this to his father to hope for a better relationship, that they never had a good relationship. And again, he explains how it could have been because of his father's disposition and how he was and Franz's uh, disposition and how it was so different and how they, in a way, didn't match. So that way they were both to blame or they were both blameless also, um, that there was some hope that maybe they could be at least better or closer than they were somehow at the end of their years, have a better relationship. And he didn't pass too many years after this. I think he wrote this in 1919, and he passed away very young at the age of 40 in 1924 um, because of, I think, dealing with tuberculosis. So unfortunately, he died very young. Uh, but this book, as I mentioned, uh, or really it is this letter written by Franz Kafka to his father, is very powerful, um, very, I think, interesting for most people to read, and you really just get the feeling. The copy I have, which is really nice, actually has... Uh, the German on the left side of the page and the English on the right side. Um, and so it was originally written in German, which is, I'm sure, much more meaningful to read it in the intended language. And the introduction touches on this to some degree about the different, uh, the words and the translation that was made and how this can affect things. Um, but I really enjoyed this book. Again, it did take me to a dark place at times when you see, you feel like you feel what he's saying uh, at really deeply. And I'm sure this is, in some level, because of his uh, uh, skills as a writer, but also how dark it is what he's talking about in the relationship with his father and how twisted everything seems. You don't really see where can there be some kind of resolution, even though he might be seeking it in some way. And so I really did enjoy this book, would highly recommend uh, people reading it. It's shorter, but it is intense, so it doesn't mean you necessarily can breeze through it, but that was... Letter to the Father by Franz Kafka. Thank you again um, for the book. 
Um, we are going into our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We will be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, I talked about the book, or really the letter by Franz Kafka, Letter to the Father, um, that he wrote to his father. And what I wanted to talk about in this segment was following up on that. Uh, he wrote this book as a hope to have a better relationship with his father, who he always had a bad relationship with throughout his life. And so most of us these days won't write a 45-page type written letter to anyone, let alone a family member. But uh, it is a reminder that we very often let our relationships stay in a bad state because we avoid talking about them or avoid facing what's going on, which isn't easy and is always going to be a challenge and involves having not usually just one, but many uncomfortable conversations where we're trying to resolve a relationship that hasn't been good for a long time. But most people would hope when they get older that they have taken care of these things. You know, when I read this book very often, I know he passed shortly after, but very often what people experience is when a loved one passes away, they wish they had made things better with them. They wish they had talked things out or worked things out and not just let things stay the way they were. And so reading this book made me think more about this, but also made me want to talk about it here, that we want to have those conversations with the people in our lives and not just avoid it. Because what we tend to do with almost everything is we choose the easier route than the harder route. It's easier just to not talk about something, not to talk to the family member, the friend, the loved one who we have some kind of bad relationship with or something happened that made us have a falling out or at least not be as close. It's a lot easier to avoid having that conversation than to actually have it and face the uncomfortable feelings face the anxiety of not knowing how it's going to go. Even as I'm telling you this, uh, and I ask you to think about who in your life you have some unresolved business with, and really that almost it means almost everyone in your life, but really who you might have some bigger issues with. Um, there's no guarantee that if you have that conversation, things will get better and that you will feel better. And I'll get into that a little bit. Um, so it is scary. It is going into some unknown. There's no guarantee of how it will go, that things will go good, that will, they will get better, and that the person will respond even in a way that you like. But I would hope that, as in most things, you would at least try and even fail, or at least have it not work out, but at least know you tried and did what you can, and then that will at least give you some type of peace of mind, even if you don't resolve things with that person. So it, we have to first overcome that anxiety and that avoidance that we all tend to do in different aspects of our life that keeps us in the comfort zone that doesn't make us want to face what's happening in that relationship or to face what has happened in the past to work on things and we have to put ourselves in that uncomfortable position that's the only way we can make things better with someone especially when it's been years that things have stayed the same it can be very hard to do that but one thing that is important to do or there are several things I'll go over when you're having these types of conversations is first to make sure you come to terms with things from your own side. 
Now, there's probably going to be some hot feelings there, maybe even some raw feelings if you haven't talked about these things or dealt with them. But if you go into especially that initial conversation with too much emotion or too much sharing your side of things, usually it doesn't go well. And so even I was saying in this letter, Franz Kafka does in effect attack his father or um, make him look pretty bad in I think most people's eyes that will read it. He does try to say things also from understanding his perspective as well, or he doesn't just talk about things in a way that's attacking him the whole time. You feel that from how he's talking about him, but it's not an outright attack explicitly. And so if you want to talk to someone, if you only focus on how bad they were and how much they hurt you, you're probably not going to do so well. And even in the book, Difficult Conversations that I shared maybe two years ago now, they talked about how you really want to come to terms with your own feelings, because if you're too hot when you go into the conversation, usually doesn't go well. So first you have to do some processing on your own of the feelings, at least to get to a better place. So you're not too heated or don't get too um, emotional in the conversation that it doesn't allow for there to be a connection. Because really what you need to do in these type of situations, when you have a long standing beef with someone, a long standing uh, long-standing discord is you need to connect first and you shouldn't think that you're going to get it all done in one conversation most of the time but there needs to be some connecting first and then you can dig into things it's kind of like you need to build that bridge and once you have that bridge you can go back and forth so don't be so concerned about making sure they know how hurt you are or how wrong they were and all those things you can get into a lot of that so make sure you have some level of cooling down from your side. And also in establishing the bridge, one thing you have to also come to terms with is that by you reaching out to them, it doesn't mean you're saying you were wrong. But unfortunately, a lot of people think that. And so they're afraid that the other person will think that or they're going to feel this way, that if I reach out to so-and-so, somehow I'm saying I was wrong or I'm saying that what they did was not so bad or it was okay or I'm forgiving them. Uh, and so because of that, I don't want to make that first step. I don't want to take that first step in reconnecting because that's me saying I was wrong. And to me, that's not at all the, the case when you are reaching out to someone, when you're even saying, I want to work on the progress of coming to terms with what's happened and even forgiving them. It's not because you were wrong or what they did wasn't, was not bad, but it's actually because you're realizing the hurt is something you don't want. You're trying to take care of yourself. And so even when we forgive someone, as much as it can feel like it's about that other person, it's about us. You forgive someone for you, not for them. When I'm talking, And we're talking about genuine forgiveness, not just pretending, but really it's about you. So we have to come to terms with first with our own feelings. We have to come to terms with the fact that by reaching out, it doesn't mean we're wrong or we're weak or we're completely forgiving them of whatever it is that they've done but we are just trying to reconnect to resolve what's happened. And that's why it's also important to keep in mind, although we're not completely forgiving them or saying that we were wrong, we do want to try to see things from their side as well. So again, if we bring it up in an outright attack about how wrong they are and how bad they are, and they're such a bad person, well, first of all, if you're doing all that, then it doesn't seem like you want to actually reconnect with them and you can go vent somewhere else if you want. But if you actually want to reconnect with them, you should try to recognize your own contribution to what's happened. How have you helped create whatever the problem is? And that doesn't mean necessarily 
you created the problem, but maybe you helped maintain it or make it worse. Or before it even became an issue, sometimes we avoid talking about something that then becomes a problem. So for example, someone uh, keeps doing something you don't like, but you haven't told them you don't like it. And then eventually it happens 20 times and you blow up. And after that blow up, the relationship falls apart. And from your own side, you think, gosh, they were so mean and wrong and bad. How could they do that to me over and over and over again? They're just a bad person. Why would I even want them in my life? And, you know, whatever else you might tell yourself. But we do have to ask ourselves, okay, when they did it the first time and the second time, did I say anything? Did I express to them I didn't like this so that they would know that I don't like it and maybe stop? Did I give them that opportunity to know and to then change their behavior? But if you didn't, then you have to recognize your own contribution. Uh, and here for me, th this word contribution versus blame is very important, which is also the distinction was made in that book, Difficult Conversations, that it makes a big difference. When we focus on blame, it's talking about judgment and it's talking about the past. It doesn't let us move forward. And so we get so preoccupied with figuring out who was more right and also who was more wrong. And because of that, we lose sight of actually trying to reconnect and make things better. We're just trying to win this fight that has already happened in the past, trying to make sure we look like the good guy and they look like the bad guy, and that's it. And we're not trying to move forward. But if we look at contribution, that is less judgmental, and it's also trying to learn to then move forward. And that's much more productive than blame. So when we look at our contribution to what's happened, and very often when people have been mad at someone for so long, they're saying, how, how are you saying I contributed to this? It was all their fault. Um, in some unique cases, that can be true. But most of the time, we've done something. Again, even if we didn't do the wrong thing that we're thinking of, somehow we've contributed to things being the way they are now by not bringing it up by not talking about it, by maybe not bringing it up to begin with, like I was saying before, that something bothered us, or how we dealt with the aftermath. Maybe they did something hurtful, but how we responded made things even worse between us and them. And for that part, we have to take responsibility. We can't just blame them for that also. And so that's what we want to think of. And so if you go into the conversation in this more balanced way, you share your feelings, you share your side of things, but also you try to show that you're understanding their side. And of course, even you want to understand their side better, because if you bring it up, you don't say, I know what you were thinking, I know what you're feeling, but you might share some thoughts you have on that, but that you want to hear more from them. If you come in in this balanced way where you're not too heated, where you come from a more calm place, not that emotions should not be felt or there should be no feelings and no feelings will come up, but in the initial um extending of this olive branch of trying to create and recreate a connection and then to repair what's happened, having a less intense opening is probably going to help. If you just start yelling at them, you're just going to continue the war. But if you want to show that you're trying to end the war, we have to approach it differently. We can't approach with aggression and uh, being mean to them. We have to approach with some level of kindness and care to show them we're trying to create something different. And again, if you are the first one to be kind, that to me does not mean you're weak. It usually actually means you are the stronger one. And kind doesn't mean nice. So I'm not saying you just pretend like you're happy or you pretend like you like them or you pretend like you love them just to make things okay. That niceness is actually not good 
because it's not genuine. Genuine kindness means you actually are feeling what you're saying to them. So don't just say something to try to make things okay. Genuinely get to that place where you are saying what you mean and you're at a place where you're ready to extend um, your hand to try to reconnect and hopefully repair and rebuild what you can have. Now, what is also very important is that I don't want to say you have no expectation because I know we say that a lot, but realistically, it's very difficult to say you have zero expectations, but really you should go in with almost no expectations and even the expectation that things can go bad, can go poorly. And so don't expect that, well, you know what, if I'm going through all this trouble and I'm the one who's going to be the first one to try to reconnect with them and say some more kind things and all that, they better they better like it. They better respond in a way I like. If you go in with that mindset, you have, first of all, probably not the right intention. And also you're setting yourself up to potentially get hurt really bad. And so in therapy, a lot of times uh, people will bring up, of course, relationships that are significant in their lives. And a lot of times, obviously relationships that haven't gone well with their parents, friends, family members. And sometimes you get to a point where they think, okay, I want to talk to this person. And so sometimes in that conversation about the conversation, I do go over with them. What are their expectations? Because we can't lie to ourselves. You can hear me say now, don't have expectations um, and even be ready that things can go poorly, but you might have an expectation and you really want to acknowledge that. You know what? I've, I'm expecting that when I say this, he or she is going to be so grateful to me to bringing it up and they are going to be you know, just giving me all this love and making me feel good. And almost they better be that way or else. Because if we go in that way, we're going to present things differently. And again, we might be very hurt or disappointed by how they respond. So we have to go in with the expectation that I don't know how it's going to go. I'm hoping that by saying this, things will get better. I'm also hoping that by at least expressing some of the things I've been holding on to, hopefully not in a too hot of a way, but it's still expressing some things I have on my mind. I might feel better from that, but I don't know. And we'll see. I'm hoping they'll be open to reconnecting, but I'm extending my hand. They might not accept it. And we have to go in with that mindset that we don't know. And you know what I've also seen is maybe that initial reaching out, you might say to them, you want to talk or bring up whatever is on your mind. They might say no to that because for a lot of people, if you've been in a negative state with someone, in a bad place in your relationship with someone for years, especially when that other person reaches out, it can be a lot to process, a lot to take in. So they might not even respond right away in the way they want to, or if they think about it, they might respond differently, but their initial reaction might be to push back again. If they've seen you as an enemy, as a bad person in their life now for quite some time, when you show up even in a kind way, it is disorienting to them. Also, because of how bad things have been, they might be doubting you and your intention. You know what? What do they want from me that they're coming back now? What are they trying to get out of me? Or are they trying to trick me to then hurt me again? So it can make sense that their initial reaction might be to push back or not to say yes. But if you can stay in your space of just expressing to them really what your intentions are, and that's why you want to be close and understanding your intentions and your expectations, then you can give them some space. You can even maybe tell them that, you know what, I know it might be a lot to take in and we've been on bad terms and I haven't been so good to you for a while myself. So I can understand when I'm reaching out to you now might feel weird or you might not 
um, be able to take it all in or really want to take it in or be able to feel it, but take your time. I'm just letting you know, I'm here to talk if you want to talk things out. And I know this might sound idealistic when I say it that way, that we're going to be so detached from it. So I don't expect everyone to be able to say it that way all the time. And it's not, it's much easier said than done, but I'm hoping that that mindset could be something we take into that interaction, that we're not just expecting that they're going to instantly respond positively and that we're not expecting that it's going to go well. And like I said, even if they are open to it, we shouldn't expect that that first conversation has to go perfectly and it's going to solve everything. Usually these things take a long time and even people talk and they might even leave the talk saying, okay, things are much better. But then because so much stuff has been brought up the next day or that night, they start thinking about things a little bit more like, you know what, there's still some unsettled stuff. And so they might want to talk about it again. Usually it does take some time to repair something, especially if things have not been going well for many years. But as I mentioned, my uh, motivation for talking about this in this segment was reading this book by Franz Kafka, Letter to the Father, which is a letter he wrote to his father and realizing that so often, unfortunately, uh, something happens in our relationships, whether it's one incident or things happening for years that make us feel bad or hurt us, and then we just give up. But I would hope that we don't give up and try to reach out and take the steps to repair what is there. All relationships go through ruptures and hardships and ups and downs, but it's not about if things go bad or get bad. It's what we do when they get bad. How do we try to repair things and make them better? So um, in a way, using this letter to the father by Franz Kafka's motivation for all of us to have those conversations before it's too late. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. back. In this last segment, I wanted to talk about uh, another side of what I was talking about in the previous segment about having those conversations with people in our lives, loved ones, that we have maybe had a rupture in the relationship. Things haven't been so going so well. And in a way, I wasn't intending to, but I was talking about it where you felt like you were hurt by someone. Although I was saying, think about your contribution to what's going on. But it was more about you've been wronged by someone else or someone has hurt you, or at least you feel like they are the ones who are more guilty in that sense. Um, but really, when we look at our lives, we might always think that we're the ones who were hurt and the other person was the wrongdoer and they were guilty and we were good, they were bad. But of course, we've hurt people too. No matter who you are, you've done that. And we have to acknowledge that and own up to that. That sometimes we might think always we're the ones that have been hurt or we're the ones that have been wronged by someone. Um, but of course, we've also hurt people too. Some of our relationships have fallen apart, not because of the other's wrongdoing, but maybe we were the ones that really took that first bad step. And that's very important to acknowledge. So we have to take that into account. And so related to that, I wanted to close tonight's show talking about apologies because it's something that we might do all the time. People say sorry uh, to people in different ways. But when we talk about genuine and important apologies, uh, I think it's really important to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it and then how we do it because that is so important in, in uh, determining how things will go. And in order to have a good relationship, in order to be in a relationship, first of all, we're going to hurt each other. That's just part of being in a relationship. People get hurt, hopefully unintentionally, 
all of the time or almost all of the time, but sometimes intentionally, but even unintentionally, you're going to hurt each other. It happens. Or you might get angry in the heat of the moment. Hopefully nothing too bad happens, but you might do something that you later regret. And so what's important is to uh, acknowledge that, but also the way we apologize is so important. So to begin with, we have to look at our intention because that's so important in anything, but especially when you're making an apology, your intention could determine really what's even going on and how we should expect things to go. Unfortunately, most people are not apologizing because they feel bad towards the other person. Usually we are apologizing because we feel guilty and we feel bad. And so we're actually wanting forgiveness more than we actually want to apologize. And so uh, um, I wrote this down uh, about a couple weeks ago. If you say sorry and are mad, you are not forgiven. Then it wasn't an apology. It was a demand for forgiveness. And that's a lot of ways that people apologize. It's not actually they're apologizing. Um, they're demanding forgiveness. And almost some people, you get the sense when they think that if I say the words, I am sorry, that you have to at that instant forgive them because they've said those words. Because you'll even hear people say that, well, I said sorry, right? They'll say, I'm sorry. And the person says, well, I'm still upset. And the response will be, well, I said, I'm sorry. So I don't know, whatever, which shows that it's not actually about asking for their forgiveness because you want to apologize because you're so hurt. It's that you want to feel better. You don't want to feel guilty anymore. So if we're going to make a genuine apology, the feeling and the intention should be, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Not, I'm now feeling guilty. I don't feel good. So tell me it's okay. And so that's how most people apologize most of the time is they say, I'm sorry, right? It's okay. It's okay. Right. And we feel that it's not about telling us they're sorry. It's about tell me I'm okay. Tell me you're not mad at me. Tell me we're good. Tell me I'm not a bad person so I can feel okay. So first we have to recognize our intention should be to express that we really are sorry for hurting them. And that's where we're starting from. And even we might have the intention for things to be better between us and that person, not because we're demanding forgiveness, but we know that because we have hurt them, we have to make this repair to make things better. And so one also um, way of understanding our own apology is that if the intention really is to make things better between us and our partner and to genuinely apologize, then we won't feel a rush to make it finished. But when we're demanding forgiveness, there's a rush. I don't feel good. I don't like feeling guilty. Tell me I'm not guilty anymore. So a genuine apology involves patience. And that's one element of an apology is you can even express to them that you understand that even though you're saying you're sorry and you're having this conversation, you don't expect instant forgiveness. And again, this is not something we just say because now I'm telling you that can make it seem like your intention is more pure. You genuinely mean that that you don't expect instant forgiveness. So to begin with, if we want to make a genuine apology, we have to acknowledge our wrongdoing and we have to own that. What that means is that we don't say, I said this to you because what you said was mean, or I said this to you because you always say mean things to me. A genuine apology starts with just our acknowledgement of our responsibility for what we did, not because Someone else did it, not because of something else. And we actually own it. Because a lot of times people will say apology and say, I'm sorry you got hurt when this happened. Or I'm sorry that because of what happened when we talked yesterday, you don't feel good. Or some things we both said were bad. Really, when you apologize, you're owning your side of what has happened and what you've done or said that hurt 
your partner. So you say, I am sorry I did this. I can see this was hurtful to you. That is very important is to own what has happened. And with that, of course, some level of genuine regret that you don't feel good about it. So you hopefully don't feel good that you hurt them. And so you express that you are hurt that they were hurt by what you did. You don't feel good about that because if you don't express that, they won't feel very good. And so some people will say they'll apologize, but they'll add, well, yeah, it's because you're so sensitive that you probably got hurt by what I said. That doesn't feel like an apology to someone. You're blaming them for being hurt. You're not acknowledging how you feel that you've hurt them. So you want to acknowledge your responsibility and also express that you're, you regret that you hurt them. And so related to that in that moment, and this kind of kind of two parts, they're trying to make things better. So if you can repair what has happened in some way, but then also promising that things are not promising as in, you know, for sure, but telling them you won't let them get hurt in that way again by you, that you won't hurt them in that way. So first try to make a repair if you can. Sometimes things can be repaired. Of course, the apology is itself part of the repair, but sometimes you can make things better if you hurt them in some way. Let's say you uh, were late to something or you didn't do something for them. You might try to make it up for them by doing that thing. So you were um, unable, you didn't pick up their dry cleaning. Maybe this won't be such a big deal, but let's say that's what happened. You'll say, I'm going to go get it tomorrow morning or something to try to repair what has happened. But also very importantly, saying that you won't let this happen again. That is very important. And because all of us have felt this before, that someone apologizes to something about something they've done, but they've done that thing, thing to us 10 times, 20 times. And when they apologize, it doesn't feel very genuine because we don't feel like it's a genuine apology if they're saying they're sorry they hurt us, they feel so bad that they hurt us, but then they keep doing that thing again. So a very big part of a genuine apology is to express it won't happen again or you won't hurt them again, but genuinely mean that, meaning that you actually will take some action towards that. Because if you say you're sorry, but then do the same thing tomorrow, people won't feel like you're very sorry. Because sorry means I don't like what I did, so I don't want to hurt you that way again, so I won't do it again. So this is another big part of the apology is going to be the follow-up. So one, you might tell them how, let's say you're working on some issue that you're going through that has contributed to what happened, or um, you realize that now they don't like when you say a certain word or say a certain thing, so you won't say that anymore. Whatever it is, you want to show them in that part, expressing to them how it's going to be different. But then what's really important is you actually do it. Or in this case, maybe don't do what you did that hurt them. But somehow the the actions, as always, will speak louder than words. And so if you don't follow up the words with some action that correspond with what you've just said to them, it won't feel very genuine to them. Now, what can also be important and helpful is after you've made sure you've made it about them being hurt and not about you, it can be helpful to at times give them an explanation of what has happened. This doesn't mean justification. This doesn't mean exoneration, meaning you're saying I'm not guilty because um, this is why I did what I did. But sometimes it can help them explain if you explain. So let's say you were late to pick them up and it's so important to them. You can say, I still could have figured out a way to make it work, or maybe I should have called you, whatever it is, but this is what happened to me today at work that contributed to me being late. So it's not saying I, I should be totally exonerated or what I didn't do 
what I did was okay, but you're trying to give them an understanding because sometimes that can help. If someone is so hurt, I can't believe you didn't show up to whatever the thing is. If they feel that you just did it because you didn't care or you uh, don't, they don't matter to you that much or whatever else they're feeling, then you won't leave them feeling very good. But sometimes that explanation could get them to understand, okay, it still hurts, but now that I know that it was because all these things came up last minute at work and you couldn't make it to meet me or whatever the situation is, it might help them feel a little bit better. But again, this is only after you've expressed your how you own what's happened, the responsibility, your regret, you don't feel good, how you're going to work on this thing, and made sure you made it about their feelings. But again, we don't want to make it about our feelings, either our guilt or showing how we were so okay in what we did, because that's going to make the person feel like it's not about them and you're not apologizing to them. You're again, just trying to exonerate yourself. You're trying to demand forgiveness or to take away your own guilt. And that's not going to help them feel much better. Now, as much as you do want to express it, I can see how this hurts you and explain that. It's not just going to be a one-sided thing. So you want to ask them, does it seem like I've understood what happened for you or how I hurt you? I want to make sure I understand it from your side. And so give them a chance to explain to you, know you this, what they felt. Because usually in these kinds of things, what you did, of course, was hurtful, but it's also what it meant to them can be even more important. So I've kind of used this example of being late or not showing up. Maybe the person tells you, yeah, I was so hurt. I felt like you didn't care and it reminded me when I was a kid and my parents would pick me up and I was the last kid to be picked up from school or something. So then you get even more of an understanding of, of how it has hurt them or why it's hurt them so much. And you want to give them that space to express to you and explain to you what they felt, what they experienced, what it meant to them, why it was significant. When you said that word to me, it reminded me how my parents used to fight and blah, blah, blah. You know, so we can see that although we might just think we did something, we have to just focus on that. We start from there, but of course we try to go a little bit deeper, understand from our partner's side what happened and also from our own side, trying to understand why we might have done what we did and hopefully have that constructive conversation together. And as I mentioned before, you want to make sure you make it clear that although you're apologizing and you're hoping that things will get better, there it's not a demand for forgiveness and you're not rushing them to forgive you and to make everything okay. And that can be another element of a good apology or a genuine apology is that you express that you understand it could take them some time to forgive you or to get past this or to deal with this. And also that you're ready to do whatever it takes when it comes to making things better. So if they want to talk more about it, if they want some reassurances from you, if they need some time to think about it, you are more than happy to give them that time and recognizing that forgiveness is not a automatic thing or something that happens instantly. It can be a process. Of course, we're talk depends on what we're talking about. Some things get repaired in five seconds. Some things might take five minutes, five hours, five years, but it depends on what we're talking about. But that you could give them that space to uh, hopefully get to that place where they'll, they are ready to forgive you and to move on. And again, they might not need some time for you to show them that you won't do that thing to them anymore. So that's another part of it. Like I said, the action is important. So if you say, I won't do this again, they might need to wait till next week to see if you show up on time to that thing or whatever the thing might be. They need to see the action before they really feel like they can forgive you. Because sometimes when we have an, uh, someone gets hurt by what we've done, it can lead to a rupture that the, the trust 
going to get damaged, and they might need time to repair that trust. So I wanted to just talk a bit about, because there's so much more we can even discuss when it comes to effective apologies, genuine apologies, that the intention is so important, that we have to make sure our intention is important, then how we do it can be very important in expressing that genuine intention to make things okay. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and everyone who's listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. Have a wonderful night. Ninety-four-seven KTWV HD3 Los Angeles.